All right, so last week we started talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to continue talking about that tonight. But what I want to do, kind of kick off this message, I want us to look at a couple well-known stories in the Bible. And then I'm going to speculate a little bit on them because there's, these are stories. The Bible's telling us the facts of what happened. But um, I, don't, I think it's okay to speculate as long as we do not try to form weird doctrines from our speculation and as long as it doesn't violate something in the scriptures. But I want to show you some uh, few things uh, about this, and then we're going to look at other scriptures that I think shows that our speculation probably is correct. But look what it says in verse 28 of Exodus 34. It says, And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. And talking about Moses. And he did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So, uh, we've got some people right now doing a fast right now. I think they're trying to shoot for 10 days. And uh, my wife's doing pretty good so far. She hasn't got real grumpy yet. I've been waiting for her to get really grumpy. But uh, so, so far it hasn't happened yet. But imagine going 40 days and no water. Okay. Now, folks, that's not, possi- that's not physically possible. You all understand that? And he said, well, do you not believe the story? No, I do believe the story, but I also believe he was with God. And I think something special was definitely going on here. And I think he's just kind of being kept alive by the power of God. But why can't he eat? Why can't he drink? You know, what's the, what's the purpose here? And I might say more about that in a little bit. We're going to speculate a little bit here. But I do believe Moses went 40 days and 40 nights without drinking water. Okay, and now let's keep reading came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of the testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. That also is different, very strange. Somebody's face shining. Moses doesn't even know what's going on. Now, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, I mean, he'd been with God for 40 days. Okay, but I, right, that makes sense. But at the same time, too, how does a face shine? How does it, how, how do you get light from skin? You know, explain that to me scientifically. You can't. Obviously, what we've got going on here is something, you know, supernatural, something spiritual. Okay, let's keep reading. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And I personally, this is just my opinion too, I think the reason this freaked him out so bad, I mean, if I saw somebody's face glowing, I'd be like, cool, I want to go see this. But any time there was any, you know, God would show up in any way, they always got freaked out. And I think this light, it was more than the fact that it was just light. I think there was just a holiness that came from this because that light came from God. And these wicked people, they couldn't handle looking at it. They couldn't handle seeing it. That's why I believe they were afraid because of just the holiness. And so it says, And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh and gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that, that which he was commanded and the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with them. So this is a very interesting story. Now, what, so one thing we don't want to do 
when we read a story like this is go like creating doctrines that aren't clearly explained in the Bible. Okay, we're not going to do that. But, you know, this is interesting. I'm not going to pretend I understand everything that's going to go on, but go, that's going on. But I do want to speculate a little bit here. Okay, now, before I kind of give some speculation on that, let's go over to Matthew chapter four. Let's see another example of someone fasting for 40 days, and that is Jesus Christ. We know Jesus fasted 40 days. It does not say that he didn't drink water. I personally think he probably did drink water, and I and it's it's my opinion too. This isn't clearly explained in the text, but I think Moses, after his 40 days of not eating and drinking, I think he was just fine physically. It The only thing that they point out about him that was different was that his face was shining. That, that's the only thing. But we're going to see something a little different with Jesus. So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and when Jesus, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So notice here, Jesus, of course, after 40 days, he's got a real physical human body and he is hungry. He's obviously very hungry here. And it's interesting that the first thing Jesus does in his ministry after getting baptized is he goes to face off with the devil to be tempted of the devil. And what, what does he do before he faces off with the devil? He fasts for 40 days. Okay, why? Okay. I personally believe he was preparing himself spiritually. There is something about fasting that prepares us, that helps us spiritually. And that's something that Jesus did. And, you know, this seems like fasting is a bad idea because what does the devil immediately tempt them with? Food. I mean, what, what are you going to be more tempted with than that? Now, I don't understand everything that's going on here. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know why this had to happen. It's my opinion that this was one more thing Jesus had to do to just prove who he was. Satan, if, if you went through chapter four, we'll see he used the same methods that he used on everybody to get him to sin. The same thing he used to get Eve to eat the, eat the fruit. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the things that he always uses and they failed him on Jesus. But notice that after he does this, at, at when he is at the lowest point of weakness, 40 days, no food, he still is able to defeat the devil. He's still able to say no to him. But then notice in verse 11, it says, then the devil leaveth him and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. What were they doing? I think they were probably feeding him, taking care of him, helping him out because he was probably physically, I mean, very weak at this point. 40 days not eating, that would be a very tough thing. And so uh, what I personally think we see going on here in the Bible. So, for example, when you've got Moses speaking face to face with God, I mean, he I mean, he's getting a glimpse of God that none of us ever had. It's almost as if, you know, the the most spiritual moments that people have are when their flesh is at its weakest. And because here's the thing, the sin that is in our life, it's because of our sinful flesh, isn't it? 
That's why we sin. This flesh that we have is very, very sinful. And I just think it's interesting. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus, before he goes and he faces off with temptation from the devil himself, he fasts for 40 days. What was he doing? That's weakening weakening himself physically, but I think he's strengthening himself spiritually. And you know the problem that a lot of us have is we're all doing just fine physically and we're doing not doing too fine spiritually. And you know why we're not doing too good spiritually many times? Because we're always thinking about this flesh. What can I do for my flesh? What can I do to just make me happy? And we don't realize that these things that we do in our flesh, they affect us spiritually. And as Christians, we're supposed to be walking in the spirit. And so what I want to talk about that is training for spiritual warfare. Because, it, again, like we talked about last week, it's real. Jesus, and, you know, in this situation too, I, we, nobody, I hope nobody gets mad at me for just speculating a little bit. Okay? But I do. I believe that the devil is literally around us, but we can't physically see him, can we? I believe when Jesus was tempted by the devil, you know, I believe it was Satan himself that was there. But let me just throw this out there, all right? This is just something y'all can chew on was he you know able to see him because satan manifested himself physically at that time or was jesus at such a point in his life where spiritually he was able to see him because of that weakness of the flesh because isn't it too when people almost die that they kind of get a glimpse of the other side And we do see examples in the Bible where people, when they were fine physically, God allowed them to get a glimpse of the other side. We see Stephen, when he was dying, he got a glimpse of the other side. There's just something about one one of these days, your flesh is going to get so weak, you know, your body's not going to be able to hang on to that soul that's in it, and it's going to, it's going to leave. And when's that going to happen? When your body just can't handle it anymore, when it can't take it anymore. And so it's almost like, this is just my kind of opinion and how I think of these things in my mind, you know, I believe we do. We have a soul and a spirit inside of us. And it's like, it's kind of being held in by this body. And one of these days, you know, this body is going to be too weak to just hang on anymore. It's like, it's trying to get away. And once, once it can't hang on to it anymore, then there's going to be that separation that takes place. And it's almost like there's a point where they're both still there and people kind of do they kind of get a glimpse over at the other side and i don't know how that all works i'm not going to try to get myself to the point of death to see if i see anything but at the same time in fact i do remember one time when i had my appendix out i'd been studying on this stuff and i've been reading all these books about people when they died and you know when they were at the point of death and they saw things and i knew they were going to be putting me under and, you know, and I remember reading some th- you know, thing talking about how close you are to death, you know, when they do some of these things. If they just do it wrong a little bit, you're going to die. I thought that'd be cool if I saw something when they put me out. And I remember I was talking to the doctor about it, but he's like, it's like, well, even if you did, uh, we give you stuff that makes you forget everything, too. And I was just like, oh, man. So who, who knows? I could have seen things, <laughs> unspeakable things, unlawful to be uttered. But, uh, pro- pro- but those doctors made me forget it of all their drugs and things they do that's probably the real reason they do that that's a conspiracy i'm going to start but anyway people were seeing too much stuff that they couldn't explain i don't i don't know i don't know but don't i don't want to get too sidetracked here but e- either way this so this 
flesh, this body, is it's corruptible, it's sinful, there's nothing good in it. If you're saved, you do have something good that's inside of you. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about how he had a desire to depart. And, you know, he wanted to be with the Lord, but it was more needful that he stay there. But as Christians, we are supposed to learn how to walk in the Spirit. We see in Galatians 5.16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that sounds so easy. Hey, just walk in the Spirit. Pastor Tommy, I'm struggling with sin. I'm having problems with this sin in my life. I'm having problems with that sin in my life. Okay, walk in the Spirit. But yet, you don't do that, do you? Why not? Because your flesh keeps screaming for attention. Your flesh keeps saying, give me what I want. And how to do that which is good, you find not. You know, even when you do good, you've got evil present with you. We don't even have time to go through Romans chapter 7 and see all that Paul said. There, and there's a lot of scripture on this. I, I mean, my biggest struggle studying for this was like, what scriptures do I want to focus on? Because there's so many. But let's keep reading. It says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So we've got an actual battle going on, and sometimes the flesh takes over, like with Kelly right there. She needs to get. I need to be praying she gets saved. But uh, you know, that's what that's what's going on, and that's why it's that's why it's saved people. You cannot enjoy sin the way you used to when you were lost. That's one thing that's going to be very different. Yes, saved people can sin. But saved people are not going to be able to enjoy it. They're not going to be able to just, you know, get off and not have any guilt or any conviction or anything like that because of the fact that we've got the spirit in us and it's it's contrary. And so, you know, you've got the goofballs out there that act like, you know, they get triggered when a preacher wonders if somebody's saved because they're just living wicked. And, you know, I think preachers need to be careful about how they say this. But I think what they're really thinking is like they're thinking there is no way I could do that and be happy. There's no way I could live like that and have any peace. And there's no way I could, I could live that way and enjoy it is what they're thinking. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because there's something inside of us that will not let you enjoy that. And obviously your flesh will. And I think you can get to the point where you are just so given over to the flesh that, you know, the spirit's just not able to do much anymore. But I think eventually, you know, you know, the Lord's going to punish us. You know, the Lord's going to chase him. He's going to chase him. He's going to do all those things uh, too. And, and he might even kill us if it gets that bad. He might even kill us because he's not going to let us, he's not going to let one of his children, he's not going to give us over to a reprobate mind. And so, you know, you have these people always trying to out eternal security each other. And so it's just like, you know, if you believe that a person, you know, it's like, what, what if a saved guy becomes a homo? Will he still go to heaven? And then if somebody's like, well, I don't think that they were ever saved to begin with. Oh, you believe in a works-based justification? That's backdoor works-based salvation. Unsaved. No, I just don't believe God is going to let his children do that. I don't think he's going to give them over to that. I can't find anything in the Bible that says that he would he would do that. And we all understand. So we do. Those of us who are saved, we understand there's something inside of us that is not going to let us enjoy some of these things. And so it would it would appear in the Bible, though, that the ultimate 
spiritual moments that took place with Moses and Jesus took place at, you know, at their weakest points, physically speaking. You know, the Bible doesn't specify Moses was weak during that time, but it's hard to imagine him not being weak. It said unless something supernatural was done to help him. But 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we looked at this passage last week. Uh, this is, Paul said, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, we obviously know the strength that he's talking about here is not physical strength, but spiritual strength. Okay, his strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul, because he was focused on the spiritual, because that was his priority, he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What's Paul saying here? I think Paul understands that what's getting in the way of us being strong spiritually is this flesh. And so the Apostle Paul, when he had a thorn in his flesh, whatever that meant, whenever Paul was dealing with this physical problem, like anyone, he's praying that the Lord will get rid of it. But, the, but God had something so big, something so special for Paul, God understood, Paul, you're better off, you'll actually be stronger and more mighty for me spiritually, if you have this thorn in the flesh. And when Paul got a hold of that fact, Paul's like, you know what? I'm going to glory in infirmities. You know what? If me being weak, if me suffering pain means I'm going to be stronger for Christ, then great. That, that, was, that was his attitude. Now, most of us were like, I don't know. I don't know if I would sacrifice my health just so I could be a little better off spiritually. But, you know, that's a problem. We're so focused on the flesh. Everything we do every day, it's more about giving the flesh what it wants instead of the spirit. So if we're going to be successful in the spiritual battle, we have to figure out how to get this flesh in subjection. Because I do not believe, because the Bible also says our body is a temple of God. I don't think we need to do like some of these weird cults and stuff and go flogging ourselves and, you know, go doing things to hurt ourselves physically. I don't believe God wants us to do that. I, I don't believe that's the case, but our flesh is a burden that we're going to carry that is in the way until we have our glorified body. And I don't see anything in the Bible that teaches us that we should physically abuse ourselves. I think we ought to take care of the body that God has given us. But you know what we do need to do? We need to figure out how to get this body under control. How can I get my flesh and my body in subjection, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. And earlier in the chapter, the Apostle Paul was talking about all these things that he would do you know, he would inconvenience himself physically. He would uh, not eat certain things if it was going to offend someone because the Apostle Paul's like, you know what? I'm more interested in winning people to Christ than I am in fulfilling my appetite and just giving my flesh what it wants. And he's like, I'm going to bring my body into subjection because I don't want to be cast away by these people that I'm trying to reach. I want them to accept 
this message. And so he's like, I'm going to get my body under control, just like anyone striving for the mastery. You go find any Olympian that's out there, and you know what? Those people are going to be picky about their diet. They're going to be picky about their exercise routine. They're picky about all that stuff. Why? Because they want to you know, compete at, at the highest level possible. And they understand in order to do that, they have to keep their body in subjection. You're not going to see them out drinking. You're not, in fact, you probably aren't even going to see them at McDonald's. A lot of them depend on what they're doing and depending on what they're training for. Why? They're temperate in all things. They've got to get their body under subjection. Now, they're doing it for something that is physical. But it also, Paul makes it clear, these things that we're, us getting our body in subjection is going to help us with the spiritual. And so the rest of this message, I just really have two main points that I want to cover on how we can get this body in control and how we can train ourselves for the spiritual warfare. Because that's what it's going to come down to. If we're going to be strong spiritually, we have to get control over this flesh. We have got to figure out how to conquer it. We've got to stop letting our flesh control everything we do, make all our decisions for us. And we've got to, we've got to learn to bring it into subjection. And so first turn over to Matthew chapter 26. So the first thing that we have to do, if you want to train to be a spiritual warrior, then one thing you're going to have to do, you are going to have to build and maintain a strong prayer life. You are going to have to have a strong prayer life. Too many people are trying to do spiritual things with no prayer at all. I don't recommend that. Okay, just like I don't recommend, I wouldn't recommend you go box somebody without training first. You know, if you're just going to be like, you know, I want to be a boxer. And then you go and you try to enter into some event and you do no training. You're probably going to get beat up really bad. You better prepare yourself. A little bit and a lot of people are going out trying to do something spiritual with zero training and one of the things that we've got one thing we can do to train ourselves spiritually is have a strong prayer life but Matthew 26 verse 40 because praying should be easy too but digital praying is not very easy and we'll talk about why here in just a second but Matthew 26 40 says and he cometh to his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You want to know why they couldn't watch with him for one hour? Because they were tired. Well, Jesus asked them to pray. You know, imagine being asked by Jesus Christ to pray for him. And, you know, you think, man, this, this must be important. But they didn't do it. They kept falling asleep. They couldn't even pray. They couldn't watch and pray for one hour. Why? Their flesh was weak. They wanted to. There's not one of us in here that doesn't want to have a strong prayer life. If you're saved, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, I promise you, you want to be a prayer warrior. You want to have a relationship with God. You want to communicate with Him. You want to talk with Him. But at the same time, probably most of us in here, we don't really do it that much. And whenever we do it, we're not very good at it. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because your flesh gets in the way. What's what, I mean, whenever we try to pray, you know what happens? We, we get distracted. Why are we so distracted? I'll tell you why. 
because our flesh is just out of control. We start, you start praying, what do you do? You start thinking about how hungry you are. You start praying, what do you do? You start thinking about other things that you have to do. Folks, we have so many distractions. You start praying, uh, guess what? Your phone's going to start going off. You start praying, all of a sudden your kids have a million needs. It's just, it's just the way it goes. And you, one of the things that we see in the Bible, and we don't have time to just go into all these examples, when, Je- when it came time for Jesus to pray, what did he often do? He would often go up into a mountain. He wanted to get away from everybody. Why, why is that? Because for you to be able to pray like you need to, you have to get rid of distractions. You know, you can't just, I mean, we're talking about talking to God. Okay? And I'm thankful that God always hears us. And I think we should always have an attitude of prayer. And I think it's okay to pray in your car and, you know, and all that kind of stuff as long as you keep your eyes open. You know, and, you know that, that's, all, that's all fine. But, you know, sometimes we really need something from the Lord. Sometimes we really need to get close to Him. We need something from heaven. And if you think you're just going to go and get on your knees somewhere and just say a quick prayer and you're all good, that's not how it works. That's not how they did it in the Bible. We see them taking great deals of time to get alone, to remove distractions, and to get a hold of God. But our minds are just so full of junk. We've got so much junk. Now, where did all that junk come from? It came from something else our flesh likes, the television. I mean, what do we like more than just sitting in front of the couch, stuffing our face, and just being entertained? And are you saying entertain, being entertained and stuffing your face is sinful? I'm not saying that so much, but at the same time, that is what our flesh likes. And when we're always giving our flesh what it wants, you know what? It just keeps screaming for more. We've got to learn to just deny ourselves some things. We've got to learn to just let our flesh figure out it doesn't get what it wants. That, we've, that the Spirit is in charge. The Spirit is in control. We'll give our flesh what it needs. You know, we'll feed it enough to keep it alive. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, get, we'll give it some, you know, a treat every now and then. But folks, today, everybody just wants treats all the time. I mean, you got people that, you know, there was a time when just drinking a soda, that was like a special treat. But now, you know, we feel like a victim if we don't, if we have to drink water for supper. We want it all the time. I mean, Starbucks, that used to be like a rare treat for people, spending that much on a cup of coffee. People want it every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Why? Our flesh is so stinking spoiled. It always wants more. That's just, how, that's just how it is. And when we live in a society where we're very blessed, where we're very wealthy, and we're always just giving our flesh every little thing at once, and then we think we're just going to be able to get somewhere and just pray and to get in the Spirit, it's probably not going to happen. Your flesh is going to be screaming for you to take care of it the whole time. Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Okay, now you say, I struggle with worry. And what, what's our answer? Just give it to the Lord. Have you ever heard people say that? I heard a preacher preach a great message years ago uh, on prayer. He, he, uh, he preaches a lot on prayer, wrote some books on it. And he, was, he preached a great message about just, you know, casting all your care on him for he careth for you. And just 
the whole message, he just kept saying, you know, just give that, to, give that to the Lord. Give that to the Lord. And I was listening to that message. I was like, man, that is so good. That is so easy. That is so simple. And then I tried doing it. And you know what? It was really hard. Whatever it is you're worrying about right now, you just need to give it to the Lord and let him worry about it. You know how easy that is for me to say? But yet, at the same time, I, okay, I, you, know, you think you're just going to go, all right, Lord, I'm here today. I've got this problem. I'm giving it to you. I'm done worrying about it. You can go try that all you want. Say that quick prayer like that. Come to the altar after service. Say a prayer like that and think you're done. Wrong. Chances are you're still going to do it. You know why? Because just the fact that you got on your knees and words came out of your mouth, it doesn't mean you really prayed. It doesn't mean you really got a hold of God. Because you know, we see, he goes on, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's not happening with me though. Why not? Well, he goes on to say, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Oh, I'm really worried about all the crisis and everything that's going on in our country right now. All right, well, you know what? You just need to give it to the Lord and pray to Him. Okay? I'm going to go pray to the Lord. Lord, I'm done worrying about Biden. I'm done worrying about inflation. I'm done worrying about COVID. I'm done worrying about Russia. And I'm giving it all to you. And then, amen. And then, you go and watch the news. And then you wonder why you don't have peace. That's why, that, that's why we're not getting anything done, folks. It's more than us just verbally saying a prayer to God. We've actually got to get a hold of Him. We've actually got to get to Him. And it's a spiritual thing. And when our minds are just full of all this junk, it's just, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to accomplish anything. Uh, turn over to First Kings chapter 19. I'm not going to take time to go through this whole uh, passage right here. But this is after Elijah, you know, he's had his showdown with the prophets of Baal and one. But then after that, he runs like 30 miles, you know, and then he finds out Jezebel's wanting to kill him. And you know what? He's weak and, you know, tired during this time. And he's at a pretty low point. And it says in verse 9, he came hither unto the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And then he goes and he goes kind of complaining to God a little bit. And he's like, you know what? I'm jealous for your sake. And now everybody's trying to kill me. And it says, verse 11, he said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice in him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And then he goes on to speak to God again. What was going on right here? It's almost as if God's wanting to talk to Elijah and then all these distractions come. You got a whirlwind, you've got a fire, you've got an earthquake, all these things. And Elijah, what does he finally do? He finally just goes and he wraps his face in his mantle so he can't see or hear anything else. 
He goes and he stands there at the entrance of the cave. I don't want to see what's going on anywhere else. I just, he just tried to get alone, and then he was able to hear that still, small voice. And that's how God speaks, in a still, small voice. But you know what? We can't hear him many times because we've got so many louder voices going into our minds. And listen, even if you go and shut yourself in a soundproof room, just understand, if for hours before you went in that room, you were listening to all this junk, it's still there in your head and it's still making noise. And, and so I, somehow we've got to learn how to get back to just being able to clear our heads and to clear our minds and to actually you, figure out how to get a hold of God. And folks, I don't know what kind of things distract you, you know, what you specifically need to do in your life. But I can say this, just generally speaking, you just have to get that flesh under control. You've got to learn to decide when, when the flesh is going to get what the flesh needs and when the Spirit's going to get what the Spirit needs, and you need to walk in the Spirit. And so, building a strong prayer life, that is, folks, that is so important. You've got to do that. We're not going to be successful spiritually if we're not praying. As a church, we've got to be a praying church. We've got to, we've got to have people that are calling out to the Lord. Praying, we've got to be praying for each other. You need to be praying for me. We've got to be praying for this community. Folks, look at the wickedness that's going on out here. One of the things that often stopped God from destroying places was men like Moses praying. We've got to be praying for this community. I think we'd see more people saved if we spent more time praying. And, you know, you got some churches, they're all praying and no soul winning. you got some churches that are all soul winning and no praying. We've got to have both. We need, we need to have both. The other thing, too, we see besides praying is fasting. Okay? And then, uh, this is something that I know some of you are doing right now. And I don't know it's so much a spiritual fast or a health fast. Okay, if it's spiritual, it doesn't count because you told everybody, all right? But anyway, you know, here, here's the thing about fasting. Okay, uh, we'll turn over to Daniel chapter 10. Okay, Daniel chapter 10. Because we've already seen the example of Moses. We saw the example of Jesus on uh, the fasting. And we see here a story of Daniel who is going to get a message from an angel. And this is something that happens to him after a period of time where he does some fasting. And it says in verse, this, in verse 2, so this is after he has received the uh, prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he is very burdened about this. He realizes that 70 weeks are determined upon God's people and that God is going to destroy Jerusalem. He didn't like the idea of that. He, that didn't sound good. And so he's burdened. And so it says in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, Neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all three whole, until the three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, I, I don't know necessarily that fasting is always just not eating at all. Here he just said, I didn't eat any pleasant bread. He didn't drink any, uh, any wine. No flesh came in his mouth. So obviously he's probably drinking water, but he just kind of got rid of all things that brought pleasure. And you know, that would probably be a good fast all of us could do is just... You know, what if we just did a fast? Obviously, you know, none of, I don't recommend anybody go 40 days without eating, okay? I don't, I don't, again, we're not trying to abuse ourselves, but I wonder if we could go 40 days not eating trash. I wonder if that would help us spiritually. I think it would because it would help us discipline ourselves. If we just went 40 days only drinking water and eating real food. I mean, some of you would think you were dying after two or three days. 
And I, I'm there with you. Okay, I mean, I like my sweets. I like my salty stuff and all the unhealthy things. But I, I think you can count that as a fast. And you know what? Some of you, some of you ought to try that just to reveal to yourself how weak your flesh is. Our flesh is so weak, folks. We spoil it rotten in America. The stuff that we would feel like we were a victim while we were eating for that 40 days, people would feel blessed out of their mind to eat in other countries. But we're, we're just spoiled here. We wonder why nothing spiritual happens. But it says, In the 4 and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with a fine gold uh, ufaz. His body was like a barrel, his face as the appearance of lightning, his eyes as the lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore was I left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, a hand touched me and set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. So notice this vision that Daniel sees, this was something that he saw after three weeks of fasting. And notice the other guys didn't see it. Now you say, well, you know, it's because God chose them to see this vision. No, I think it's because Daniel was spiritually prepared to see this vision. And I, I believe that's why. And again, we just see something in common throughout the Bible. Whenever guys, whenever men are at their weakest, that's when some of the most amazing spiritual things take place. Why? Because this flesh is what gets in the way. This flesh is always messing everything up. And folks, we've just got to learn how to control our appetites, not just with food, but just, you know, across the board when it comes to anything that we like, whether it's, you know, what you watch on television, you know, what, what you eat, what you drink, whatever it is, whatever it brings your dirty flesh pleasure, you've got to learn to control that appetite. Some of you might have just a, I mean, a massive appetite for gossip. You know, you need to get that under control. You shouldn't be eating people and fighting and devouring one another that's that's a pretty wicked thing ah but i just get such a good feeling whenever somebody gives me some juicy gossip and especially when i'm the one spilling the gossip i know i know and you know what that's bad that's really it yeah it it might make you feel good physically but spiritually it has a devastating impact on you you just got to stop giving your flesh what it wants and start giving the spirit what it wants in proverbs 23 verse 1 it says when thou sittest to eat with a ruler Consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat. If thou be a man given to appetite, be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up 
and lose thy sweet words. Basically, what he's saying here is don't let someone tempt you. Don't let someone get you to do something that you know you shouldn't do just because they're giving you something that your appetite wants. They're doing this to deceive you. They're doing this to get the better of you. And isn't that what they do at a lot of, you know, business lunches and things? You know, hey, let me buy you this nice meal at this nice restaurant. Why are they doing that? Because they're wanting to sell you something. You know, that, that's why they're doing that. You know, and I hope, you know, you don't like that restaurant's food so much that you're going to get caught up in a bad deal, you know, just because you want that free meal, you know, from them. You're going to lose a lot more money than that from them in the long run if they catch in that bad deal. And that's basically what he's talking about right here. Just, you know, don't be desirous of those dainty meats. Yeah, they're putting, the, they're, they're putting this stuff in front of you. Yeah, they're going to give you a good meal, but you know what? You're going to regret that decision. You're going to vomit it up later. You know what? Don't do it. And too many times we're letting the devil, we're letting the world, or who, uh, you know, we're letting the, just the powers of darkness just dangle things in our face that our flesh wants, and then they get us to sin. And when we regret it later in our spirit, we always regret it later. I mean, how many of you before you went on that diet and then you drove by Dairy Queen and saw blizzards were on sale and then you went and you ate it and it tasted wonderful. But then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, and then you have some people that literally go and make themselves throw up. You know, you have the bulimic people that are out there. Well, you know, just say no. But yet it's so hard, isn't it? And isn't, doesn't that just remind us how weak we are? We can't even say no to a blizzard. I mean, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. But, you know, people shouldn't be able to deceive us through such fleshly and carnal means. And that's how they deceive us. That's how Satan got Eve to sin. It was with food. That's what Satan tried to get Jesus to do. He tried to get him to turn the stone into bread. Just, t- you know, tempting the Lord... He uses all these fleshly, carnal things. You know, and think about this too. Casinos. What are, what are the big things that they do to get you in the casinos, all right? Is, the, first off, the females. You know, you look at the billboards for them. There's always an immodestly dressed woman on the billboard. But you know the other way they get people in there too? The food. You hear people talking about, oh, yeah, we went to this buffet uh, because, you know, at the casino. Because, you know, the food's cheap there. I know. You know why? Because they are hoping they get you to come in there and eat, and then they're going to get you gambling. Everybody knows that's why the food is cheap at casinos. And they say, oh, are you sinning if you eat at a casino? I mean, technically, you're not sinning if you eat at a casino. But here's the, here's the thing. You know, should you put yourself in that tempting situation? Is a man sinning if he goes and, you know, is alone with another lady when he doesn't have to be? No, if you don't do anything, but should you put yourself in that situation? So, it, you know, understand these casinos, you know, they're, these are super fancy places for a reason. You know why? They figured out how to get everybody's money from them. And listen, you know, I, I work too hard for my money. I'm not, I'm not going to go somewhere and get tempted. We've been to these places before where they want to, like, try to sell you these timeshares. We were, at, we were at Branson one time, and when we got our room, they wanted us to do one of these timeshare things. They were going to give us a $100 bill. They were going to give us like a free night in the room. They, were, they had all this stuff they were going to give us. And I, just, and I heard all that, and I thought, man, and like, and no obligations. You're not required to sign up for anything. 
And they were, I mean, $100 bill, all kinds of other stuff too. You know, some tickets for some things. And you know what? I said no. And you know why I said no? Because first off, I'm a salesman's dream. I'm not good at saying no to them. Second off, I hear these commercials all the time about, you know, how you can get out of your timeshares and they'll help you get out of your timeshares and all that stuff. And I was like, obviously, I don't understand how all that stuff works, but it's getting a lot of people in trouble. So I'm not going to let them tempt me. I'm not going to let them wave a $100 bill in my face and tempt me because, you know, I get tempted with the $100 bill. You know, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I know me. I, I know me. And so we, we didn't do it. And they, it was, he was acting all shocked. I mean, like, you know, it's $100. You're not obligated to do anything. You know, and I was like, I don't care. And we, we didn't do it. Walked away. Walked away. And I do not regret that at all. So we've, uh, so we all have a carnal appetite. We will always, our flesh is always going to desire certain things that are pleasant to the flesh. And not all things that are pleasant to the flesh are sinful, but we've still got to have control over them. And I believe fasting strengthens us in that area as much as anything. I think that's one of the most important reasons to fast, just to help us get our body in subjection. And so both of these things we talk about, praying, fasting, it, these are not things you're just going to naturally do. You've got to plan on them. You've got to follow through with them. And we, we've got to bring our bodies into subjection. Otherwise, we're going to be completely worthless in the spiritual battle. And uh, listen, you're at church here tonight on a Wednesday night. So I assume you're interested in the spiritual battle. I assume that you, know, you want to do something in there. Uh, you want to accomplish something in a fight. And so you know what? These are two things you need to do. You, everyone in here needs to work on their prayer life. Everyone. We need prayer warriors in this church. There's no doubt about it. And you know what? All of us should do whatever we've got to do to figure out how to get our bodies in subjection. And I believe fasting is one of the ways we can do that. One of the ways we can, it'll, it'll teach you how weak you are. And it'll just teach you how to say no. And once you do, you show this body, you need to show that body who's the boss. And it needs to be the spiritual man. And there's always going to be a fight. And you know what they say, it's the one you feed that's going to win. So you, some of us need to start, start starving out that uh, fleshly man. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everybody. I pray all of us will uh, put this to practice in our lives, Lord. I pray we'll all, that we'll be prayer warriors. I pray that... Uh, We'll get this flesh under control, Lord. There's so many temptations out there. Uh, so many, uh, it's so easy to fall into sin. But Lord, I pray you'll uh, help us to uh, just watch and pray and help us to uh, be successful so we can really make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.